1: Welcome to episode 83 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. Today we welcome lead singer, guitar player Anthony from Bayside. Anthony and I talk about the new album Vacancy, we discuss Emo Screamo, when it went downhill, and what word is worse, and most recent, where's the band tour. Anthony could not have been more gracious with his time, and I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. This episode is sponsored by the upcoming You Blew It album, Aventraught, out November 11th on Triple Crown Records. It's produced by Evan Weiss of Intuit Over It. Aventraught doesn't sound like anything you blew would have done, and that is a good thing. This is a giant leap forward for not only the band, but the independent scene itself. You're gonna love it. This is episode 83 of the Washed Up Email Podcast with Anthony from Bayside. So Anthony, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um I think you the band starting in 2000 was pretty interesting. Um because first that was like obviously Y2K shit. Uh people were, you know, wondering if their their computers were going to work. I actually had just moved to New York City, so that year is like a pretty big, you know, year for me. Um and then you guys sort of cultivating for a while if it was 7-inches EPs before your first release, um, was that a conscious thing? Was that like because now you guys would have a Bandcamp account and like it just seems like it, it was even then it still felt slow.
2: It, yeah, I mean it, that's just the it was the way of the world at that time. The internet was still pretty infant at the time. There was definitely no there wasn't really anywhere for bands on the internet. Um, I think. I, I want to say that mp3.com was probably the first thing that we ever had, like, an account on. Um, yeah, so we were on, like, mp3.com, and that eventually went, became Friendster. Um, and uh, eventually, obviously, MySpace, which I think for our generation of bands, is MySpace was probably the best thing to happen to, like, our generation of bands.
1: I mean, to have, to, to have a, like, let's say there was a bigger band than you putting Bayside in their top eight... That was, like, huge.
2: Well, that was helpful, but really, I mean, it, I, I guess I didn't even realize how amazing it was until recently. You mean, like, chatting and stuff, or even the music? Even the music part? Well, it will be, yeah, because it was one page. One page, and it was, your, it was photos of the band and your tour dates and music, uh, a video. It was everything that was just like, hey, here's my band. Here's everything you need to know about my band. Do you like us or not? if you do, you can click here and then you'll always know everything that's going on with us. So it was like a mailing list and photos and, uh, and music and tour dates and everything all in one spot. And now we're dealing with like, it's a constant struggle now with how many different social media platforms there are and now we're getting ourselves every record cycle. How do we reach our fans? You know, And it used to just be like, yeah, you just we'll, we'll put it on the MySpace. You know, and now it's like, okay, we need a mailing list and we need a snapchat and not everybody uses snapchat some people still use instagram we need instagram and we got to put it up on the facebook but facebook throttles the posts and now only five percent of our fans see the facebook posts and we got to put it on the twitter and we still do need net and now maybe we need a mailing list again and we need a website and and it's still, you still won't reach everybody. Where it was just like, at that time, it was like, MySpace, everybody's here, and all the information is there. Everybody uses it, and and everything that they need to know about our band is all in one place. And now it's like, it, it was spread so thin trying to, trying to figure out how to even, forget about trying to get new fans. I mean, now we're spread so thin just trying to tell Bayside fans what's going on. How savvy are you guys? We try. I mean, you know, it's like Uh, we we definitely keep up on things. I mean, we're pretty involved in our business and like in the music industry in general, we're not one of those bands that sort of just shows up and plays. Like we're pretty involved. We keep our ear to the ground. We're always talking to people in other bands and other managers and labels and seeing what everybody else is doing. So we try to stay up on the new shit, but, it's impossible. The thing is, like, content is king now. So it's like you can't just have an Instagram and just post your tour dates on it and just post advertisements on it because that's not interesting and nobody will follow you if that's all your Instagram is So you have to have interesting content there. So then you have to have interesting content on Facebook and you have to have interesting content on Snapchat. And it's, just, it's so time-consuming. It's impossible. It's impossible to really. So, I mean, we're savvy as far as we know what's going on and we know what we're supposed to be doing, but it's impossible to actually do it all.
1: And do you feel that burden? Like, do you feel, I mean, you guys are there and you can totally tell when a band has the assistant or the label doing their post because it is, it's, it's that, it's that realness of you guys on the road and posting that really funny photo of that thing that happened and it's in the moment, but the amount of time that it took to get to that, what did you get? What did you get from that?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's, it, it is a lot of work just trying to recreate what used to be one MySpace post. And it's and I mean, now we have we travel with a a photographer, videographer. We have a guy on staff now who travels, who tours with us. That he just takes photos and makes videos of us while we're on tour or doing whatever, and 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 posts them for us. You know, and we still we'll take photos and we'll do things and post them ourselves too, and um but like it's like a, it's a full time job we had to hire somebody to actually that is his job
1: i think i mean even i guess stepping back cuz i just the 2000 year was just like you know the internet's almost like you guys were right in the middle of it and had to go um i guess stepping back a little bit before that before, you know before bayside were you growing up in the new york city area being exposed to so many things and you're almost desensitized um how, how how, what, what places were you going? What things were you experiencing that led to you sort of leaning toward, you know, punk music and it, it, independent stuff?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that growing up, going to shows in Long Island, I mean, you know, obviously, like most of us, I didn't grow up. I wasn't I wasn't I don't have any older siblings and my parents aren't punk rockers, you know, so I didn't grow up like getting like being injected with punk rock when I was like six years old. So, um, you know, I grew up on Nirvana and, uh, and Weezer and stuff like that. Like a lot of, like a lot of us, so a lot of people, my age and, um, uh, like a young teenager, 13, 14, 15 is when, uh, there was the, the long Island scene was, was, uh, was kicking ass at that point. You know, there was Silent majority was happening at that point in my life and glass jaw was just starting up and mind over matter. And, so there was all these sort of, there was, there was all these like punk rock and hardcore shows that you could go to. Um, and that definitely, I mean, that's what got me more and more into punk rock, you know, and I, I was really into the fat record stuff and all the epitaphs stuff. And um, so I kind of, I followed that and I got really into the youth crew scene. And um, so, I, I mean, I followed that and really, I mean, as far as being a band goes, it was definitely like solid majority and, glass John and all the long island hardcore bands that made us think like oh cool so like if we started a band there like there are places that we could play we could actually play shows and people would come so we i mean that was sort of the the beginning of starting a band it was like looking at those guys but then being up, starting a band specifically in the in 2000 and within like that year and the Following year and the year after that was uh, I remember sitting on uh, uh, brand new, brand new got a record deal and taking back Sunday got a record deal and jaw got a record deal and seeing all that and they were they were starting the tour and I remember thinking like okay well if they're doing it we can, like that was the like oh wow this is possible like going on tour and getting a record deal is not something that like just happens to somebody else you know like this is happening to our friends in our in our like the same kids we're going to shows with and then I remember. I was in Levittown at Jesse Lacey's house and we were sitting on his couch watching 120 minutes and, uh, on the same episode, uh, get up kids were on and Edna's goldfish was on 120 minutes. I remember both of us just being like, Whoa, like we know these guys, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like they're on fucking TV, you know? And that was a real eye-opening. like, wow, we can do it, you know? So I definitely think that was a, you know, those those guys had to pave some paths for people like us and Brand New and TBS, all the bands that started in, like, 99, 2000. Um, we had to see that they were doing it first, and that gave us sort of, like, the courage and the, like... It it showed us that it was possible to, like, actually tour and to have a record deal and maybe be on TV one day.
1: What's cool, I think, you know, you lit like that you encapsulated that L.I. scene because it was so connected. I mean, you were at Jesse's house. You you know, obviously Artie, you know, Mind Over Matter or the Silent Majority guys, to, you know, if it's the Taking Back Sunday. It's just there was this great community, and I think that was like such a big part of it because you were all connected. It wasn't like there was a lot of – you were helping each other out.
2: Uh, and I, um, Yeah, it's, it is a lot like the Seattle thing, you know, yeah. and I, I've heard like Long Island compared to that a lot but it's more it's more like that than just the fact that it was a whole bunch of bands playing together from the same scene and there just happened to be a lot of good bands from the same place at the same time it was it was like that in the sense where like somebody broke through and it, and then it was just like everybody looked at long island you know and i don't like if if tbs and brand new didn't come first and glassjaw before that if, if those didn't happen, I don't know that anybody would have paid attention to brand new and TBS. And if nobody paid attention to them, I don't know that anybody would have paid attention to us.
1: Mm-hmm. Another band I love to mention is Inside. They were a really they were a band that I loved from uh, the Long Island scene. Which one? Inside.
2: Loved Inside. Yeah, I loved Inside.
1: It was one of those ones where I was like, oh, this is different. <laughs> but it was, it connected.
2: Yeah, but e- even like uh, uh, the the movie life was another yeah. one that we were like, oh my God, the movie life is like going on. Forward. The movie life signed a revelation. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I and mean, it was just so. But like, you know, it sounds silly to think in hindsight with where all of our bands have gone since then. But like at the time, it was like, oh my God, like I thought Revelation was just like some fantasy label that, like, some other guys in B.C. maybe could sign to, or some Manhattan guys, or, like, in L.A. or something, you know what I mean? Like, not, not us, we're from fucking like, the suburbs, you yeah. know? And I was like, oh my god, Movie Life signed to Revelation, that's crazy.
1: And this might be, this is something that we could probably get into later, but I think it makes sense right now, is you guys, I mean, when, if you... Like we have an interview with Adam from Taking Back Sunday. He references all these old bands or he references, you know, maybe there's a new band or, you know, your tour right now. You've got a newer band, Sorority Noise. and You've got Menzingers that are a little younger. You guys are sort of the, you know, the the headliner. But, you know, the movie life. I'm just I'm kind of giving the context of a lot of the fans, because it got so big, sort of didn't get that education of the earlier bands. And it was yeah. Like I mean, there's certainly it just felt because and is it because it got too big and at that point you're just not gonna get that response. Um,
2: I don't ha- think that everybody listens to music the same way. You know, I think that I <clears throat> I love music. A lot of people love music, but I love music history and I love lineage. You know, so when I liked when I listened to Nirvana. I wanted to know who the Melvins were and I wanted to know who the Meat puppets were. And I wanted to know who screaming trees were. I wanted to know who the bands that they would talk about all the time were, you know, but that's not, that's not really that important to everybody else. Not everybody thinks that way. Not everybody who was a Nirvana fan knows who the Melvins are. So I think it's kind of the same thing with the punk scene or emo or whatever you call it at this point.
1: Because I feel like, the you know, the you're totally right about the Get Up Kids. First time someone handed me 4-Minute Mile, I didn't even know about the EP before. And they handed it to me, and I was like, what the hell is this? Like, this is so eye-opening. And I started digging and diving. I wish more people, you know, I wish the Get Up Kids shows that they did... Aren't at a smaller? I wish they were at a bigger venue. Like for some reason, I just there's some bands I just want to like plop out and just like yell to the heavens. Like if you liked this band, you should. Yeah, I
2: know. <laughs> yeah, it just does not work that way, though. It does help not me. like it, help what, me. <laughs> what's what's the saying? It's something like, uh, "Oh man, I wish I could remember the saying." But it's something like the guy, the 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 the, uh, the the frontiersmen they they die, but the settlers they prosper you know what i mean that's that's fucking uh, unfortunately is always the case i mean and i your timing was any band who's popular now like whether they're as popular as we are or way bigger than us they'll say man like you guys like really did your own thing and like you don't sound like anyone is like no we sound just like this other band you know like i say that i say that all the time like what, people ask me like what i what i listen to and they ask for like you, you know fans sometimes ask for like some uh recommendations i'll be like just listen to the smoking folks and you'll be like and then you won't like us <laughs> as much anymore because you'd be like oh okay I, they're not nearly as original as i thought they were so but I, I feel like anybody from from us to brand new to fallout boy to to like you two could all say that be just be like yeah we're basically just doing what they did like we're just putting our own spin on it
1: yeah and it's whatever the age group but the the thing was that time i mean i was at evr from 04 to 07 which i think was heyday for a lot of that if it was on tv mtv2 was playing these bands uh, yeah, fuse there was like, yeah, yeah, like was that a good was time for it our was our team. yeah, it was a great time. And the thing that was great was we had this great group of people that were into this genre, and it, yeah, you know, I think it did trickle down to some of the other bands um but it just seemed like it was it got it got derivative super fast. And I think you guys have done warp tour a bunch, um, it just it seemed like. Did you feel as like this next opening band on your next tour? You were like, "Wait a minute," it, or do you feel like it was just you saying well, the we smoking won't popes, God
2: shit that we don't back? We won't tour with bands that we don't back. You know, like we or even. I mean, but tour. I, I think that it, it, oh, that cycle happens in every genre, though. You know, like like Metallica and like and Motley Crue and Poison, like the 80s metal you know what i mean i mean i'll get to my metallica point in a second because if we hit, there's, a, there's a whole other sort of like caveat to that but like poison and motley Crue were doing something you know like they invented something like it or not like they invented something you know but that eventually turns into cinderella and that eventually turns into winger and then like before you know it it's just a fucking joke you know what i mean it's like it's, it's a copy of a copy of a copy, you know, and it degrades with each copy you make. Um, and I mean, that happens with everything, you know what I mean? Like fucking with grunge, with, you know, again, with metal, they like you, you keep copying the copy and eventually, and it just keeps getting more and more watered down. So inevitably, inevitably that was going to happen with our scene, you know? And I think that bands like Newfound Glory, uh, and like did Charlotte in some forty one that got like their real commercial success, like first in the early two thousands and then later with like my Cam and Fallout Boy, like those bands were all real bands. You know, if you will like them uh, They were real bands. They were punk bands. They wrote their own songs. They like played the music they grew up listening to. They play like and they stayed true to their sound as they got big, you know. But what happened is then you had all these other bands that were like, well, we want to be as big as fallout boy and like fallout boy and newfound became pop music, but on their own terms. So these other kids were like, well, it's pop music. So like, we'll get like pop guys to write it, except we'll just like, we'll have tattoos and we'll look like a, like a punk band. And like, that's, that's really where it started going down. You know, like I, I you know, I, I, when I was younger, I would have named names, but I'm past that, I'm past that point <laughs> in my life.
1: Uh, I've been told was, the same that's what I
2: started seeing on Warped Tour in like the mid to late 2000s is when I started seeing all these bands like you're not a fucking punk band, you're a pop band with tattoos, you know. So they just sort of yeah, like the, but those bands that they were trying to emulate were the real deal, and these kids that came later on they didn't realize that like that shit was born out of something real.
1: Well, that's that sort of education part again. It's that they only saw. The pop music plus, like the pop sensibility, how about that? And the sort of tattoos versus it was deeper than that. And it was that again, you're saying that fan isn't going to go as deep. So the only. Right. Song and that's
2: why. Right. And those kids just didn't get it. And it, that's why it was a copy of a copy of a copy, you know? And that's why New Sound Glory is still here. And that's why Sum 41 One's still here. And that's why Fallout Boy is still here. Because, and, you know, and those bands were pop stars at one point, but they're still here. And all those kids who wanted to be pop stars, they had their moment, but it didn't, you know, it didn't last.
1: Yeah, I mean, those broken side, like all that kind of stuff, that thing was like quicker than a flash in a pan.
2: Yeah, but all those original guys, they were pop stars, but like by accident. They were pop stars because they got huge, not because they were trying to be.
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting time, not only because it was like I was an outside fan of the earlier stuff, but also in it. And I had bands that were like successful because of it and then trying to come out of it when that bigger sort of group of people left and you were trying to still hold on. I mean, did you have that feeling when I mean that wave happened and then it kind of stopped if it was 08 or 09 and. I mean, did you feel and, like well, and this? And this
2: is where the Metallica, and this is where yeah. my Metallica thing comes in. And what we've always said, uh, this, this, uh, our Chef Goodman, who produced uh, most of our records, was saying this about us, to us, like when, like from, he produced our self-titled record and the Walking Wounded record, which were like two of our most popular records. And he was saying then, and he was like, Bayside just does not, we, we've never jumped on any trains we've never toured with all the cool bands. We never looked like the cool bands. We never did, what the cool bands did. So that when the trend, cause we knew that the trend was going to go away. We knew that it was going to die. So we always said like, as long as we don't fucking like latch our wagon to that, then like when that shit crashes, we won't crash with it. And that was always a really conscious effort, much like Metallica, not being Motley Group, you know? And we always said like, we, like we want to be the Metallica in like, we want to be the Metallica to w- what emo is to hair metal, you know, like when this shit becomes like, like, yeah, we'll like, we'll, it'll work, you know, like we'll, li- we'll sort of like coexist with this scene and we'll keep a foot in it, but we're always going to keep a foot out of it because this shit's going to become a joke one day, you know, it's going to, and we, so we that, we, that was always like really conscious. And we've always had a literally asked ourselves from back then, even to, to right now, we always say, are we going to be embarrassed about this in ten years? this photo, this album cover, this song, this lyric are we going to be are we going to be embarrassed about it in ten years and that's that's uh that's always been the way that we've operated the band
1: I love that but th- it's interesting is that would that would would someone run away from a word as much as emo has anyone
2: ever run away from a word as much uh, yeah, I guess not, you know, but i mean like it's semantics you know who cares what they call it what do True. you want to call it like you you want to like you, like every time we talk about a genre like a group of bands do we want like a paragraph explanation that like define <laughs> the band or can we just can we just take, take a word and call it that just for like to totally make it easier agree. like i don't you know what i mean <laughs> i don't care
1: well i mean i i've been grappling with this for years so but i just think is there another
2: word that's hated like people
1: run from it
2: be th- it... as far as genre goes i don't think so man i mean nobody like nobody nobody like doesn't like to be called a, like a rapper you know nobody doesn't want to be True. called a rock band nobody nobody doesn't want to be called an r&b group you know uh, yeah i think you're right i can't think of another genre that people like hate being associated with
1: <laughs> there is one artist which i've told on a previous podcast that will never be interviewed by me because of the name of the podcast
2: <laughs> you know what the only thing that's the only word that may be worse is screamo
1: yes can we talk about screamo, screamo for a second
2: invokes screamo invokes the 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 haircuts and the makeup a little bit more you know what than a, than emo does
1: i think you're right i think i've learned something right now anthony i think i hate the word screamo more than the word emo because screamo to me is frail 400 years uh, you know, all these sort of like, that was like someone absolutely screaming on the floor with chaotic music.
2: That's what I thought it was. Right. And I like, I mean, there I, and maybe if it be, at the beginning of it, maybe there were some cool bands doing it. Like, I, I guess like, Keepsake was kind of like a screamo band. Um, like, I guess there was some cool stuff at some point. Glass Eater, I don't know, like some, some stuff like that. that that was kind of cool. Um, but like definitely in this in the in the the generation we're talking about, the screamo bands were worse than the emo bands. I the crabcore stuff, yeah, you the crabcore, and those stuff. kids all they all, all want to be called just metal, but like they're not. But
1: that's still going on right now. I still feel like there's. I'll, I'll get yelled at or something. I'll crack a joke about a band, and they'll say, "Tom, that's a screamo band." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? It's the it's the hair. They're, they're chugging. Their guitar is swinging around their back with. Uh, it's straw. a lot
2: campier. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot campier. It's like I can so almost yeah, I tell you when the breakdowns coming. Emo. To me, at this point, emo is is defines like bands from a certain time that's what I, that and that's how i hear it being used now and that's how i use it now like it's 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 a certain generation of bands you know because i do these emo night things all the time and like we don't sound anything i don't think like new found glory or and Newfound Glory doesn't sound anything like Paramore, but like we're all just emo bands, or you know what I mean. And that is totally so,
1: that's totally generational. I I definitely get that. And and the yeah emo night so this, to this thing point, like, I feel yeah.
2: like emo just defines a generation more than a sound at this point.
1: Yeah, but the I guess the put to to put a bow on the screamo, maybe that there should be more education on that.
2: <laughs>
1: maybe I should yeah, focus well, my I, funding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I, so I I mean, to answer your question, I think there's the screamo label people run away from even more than the emo label because all those bands call themselves metal, call themselves metal bands.
1: Yeah. I mean, Rich Egan uh, from Vagrant was on and uh, he had said, I don't know where someone can connect the dots from Black Veil Brides to Hot Rod Circuit. I don't know how those <laughs> two bands are somehow connected. He doesn't see it.
2: I don't either. Right. Well, do people call Black Veil Brides an emo band? Yes. Yeah, I mean, the that new generation of stuff I know very little about. I know that they exist. Um, I know, I know they're really big. They look like to
1: me Cradle of Filth light. That, that's what they look like to me, just visually.
2: Okay, I thought they were more like a Motley Crue thing.
1: Oh, maybe that. Maybe they're more Motley Crue. I thought they. W- Maybe they're, maybe they're in the middle of that. <laughs> maybe it's a because new genre. They're we don't pretty. Know.
2: Because they're pretty. You're I think right. That's the difference between...
1: Yes, because Cradle of Filth the difference between Mo- Mo- The Logan.
2: difference between Cradle of Filth and Motley Crue is lifting. <laughs>
1: <That's> totally true. <laughs> totally true. I love that we're the only people ever to have this conversation. <laughs> that's awesome.
2: I love speaking in sweeping generalizations. <laughs>
1: Oh, welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast.
2: Uh,
1: (laughs) Well, the other thing you kind of mentioned, you know, the emo nights and my whole thing was I've been doing one for about five years, five plus years, almost six um, uh, next February. The whole idea was it kind of goes back to that history thing of we play everything from the 90s through to through today, even 80s. If you want to talk about some of the discord stuff through today. So it's like you've got this whole breath of here's this here's this word, but it connects all of these different sort of eras. And I feel a lot of these ones that if you don't say pop punk after it, and you just say emo night, and a kid goes and you're playing some forty one, there's there's that disconnect with me that you need to describe it in a different way because um, it's a discredit to, I think, not just the bands, the bands of the whole generation? Well, it
2: depends on, I mean, DJing is a different ballgame. To be a DJ, to me, is to strictly, like when you're in a band, right, like you have to be an artist. You gotta do, you gotta do what you do and you have to stand behind it and you have to love it and, you know, you, you have to have an artistic voice. I think when you're a DJ, your job 100% is to play what the people in the room want to hear. That is 100% your job. If you're a DJ and you're up there and everybody's bummed about what you're playing, you're a terrible DJ. Whereas if you're a band and you're playing in front of a room for people who don't like your band, there's only so much you could do. But like if you're a DJ and you have every, literally every, every song ever written at your fingertips, and like people don't like what you're playing, then you're not being a good DJ. So when I've DJed those emo nights, they are pop punk nights, you know? And I like a lot of that stuff. Like I'll play Newfound Glory. I totally do. And, I love
1: Newfound Glory. Uh, like
2: I'll, like and I like that So My only one my only rule is that I won't play anything that I don't like. But if I know that everybody's there to hear that stuff, then I play that stuff. But what is But if I were to do like more of a real emo night that I know that I know they like I did the LA one the other like a week ago, which is like, that a huge one. I've fucking never seen anything like it in my life, but I did that last week and that's totally, that's a pop punk night, you know? But, like, I'm sure there are cool ones in Brooklyn and and, and other places that are smaller that, like, people do want to hear eat real emo. They want to hear piebald. They want to hear the jade tree stuff and they want to, you know what I mean? Like, they want to hear can emo play both.
1: Emo. you can play both. I feel like if those guys are in that position and, yes, they told me that there's an outdoor stage or whatever, I feel like there's a way to... If that's the fan that's just there, then it's that fan that was in the bubble.
2: That's there. See, but the, again it go, kind of goes back to what I think a DJ's job is. If you have a room full of people, like say for instance like there because there you can test the waters on that stuff, right? So I like when I like I I DJ a lot. So when I I always sort of like test the waters and I see where the where the line is and you can look at you could look at, like, like e- emo, I guess, as some sort of, like... Or at least those emo nights as, like, sort of a bullseye that stretches outward, right? And if, like, you know Sum 41 and New Found Glory and Jimmy World and that stuff, everybody's going to go nuts when you play it, right? So you could test the boundaries a little bit. Like, you could start off with, like, save the day. You know? You could play, like, at your funeral and see how that goes. You know? You could play... Some of that, like, kind of just on the outskirts of, like, pop emo, you know? And, and you could stretch it all the way out until it gets to Raina Maria, you know what I mean? And just see, see, how, the, see how the audience reacts. But if you find that people don't know who Saves the Day is at, at, at the thing you're DJing, then, like, then you got to get back to the hits.
1: But those kids think, I 100% agree, I love playing that whole genre. I feel like if you're there, call it pop punk night then. Don't call it emo night. <laughs> what semantics? It's semantics. <laughs> but the kid coming thinks it's emo. That's the thing that I try and like. The kid going thinks
2: it's just emo. So I'm like, okay. So you yeah. So you, so you think it's a, you you're doing the kid a disservice by not educating them? Is that yeah. What you think?
1: And I totally agree with your I, thing. I I've been see that. I just think there's a way to if you're gonna call it pop punk night and a, if a kids comes and they're gonna play all that. Or if you're going oh, to do oh, so but pop emo-
2: punk has a new meaning now. You're right, it does. Because pop punk night means you're gonna means neck deeps and man overboard. That's a, it's a whole it's a whole right. new thing.
1: So I guess it just if it changes, my whole thing is this education of just if you're there and like if if the kids there and just knows the hits. I would love if they went away with something, even if it's a B side from a Taking Back Sunday record that they don't have. Just another way to dive deep. And I just think there's, even with radio, when I did college radio, it's like, you play a song everybody knows, and then right after, play something you think they might like, because at least you've got their attention. Um, and I'm sure you think the same way. You're like, oh, let me test this, because it connects this Yeah, way.
2: I mean, and those nights, I mean, granted, when I've done them, I'm the special guest DJ, yeah. and I come up, like, at midnight, it's prime time, and I DJ for an hour, and I can fill an hour with hits. Yeah. But those nights are, like, five hours long. So yeah. If you're yeah. hosting one of those and you're DJing yourself all night, there's a lot more room to stretch out. So it Definitely. is sort of, it's a, different, it's a difference of like a, of role, I guess.
1: Yeah. Moving from that, one thing I thought would be, I'd love to talk about was that solo tour that you did with Conley, uh, with Dan, Andy from Hot Rod. Um, and it's sort of similar to this is that... yes? Yeah, speaking I,
2: of the emo... Speaking yeah. of washed up emo
1: <laughs> That was I mean Matt was fucking hilarious During I mean he, He's always got The great one liners But I thought was interesting yeah. About that tour And I saw it in, in, At the Bell House In Brooklyn And then I heard About the Jersey show What was interesting At the Bell House show Was that You know I was I love You know Alkaline Trio I listened You know I've been listening To you guys Forever Obviously Get Up Kids Chris You know I love Saves a Day so each yeah, time yeah. I was like, fuck, this is amazing. But it was interesting to hear the crowd. Like, Dan's playing yeah, a song. Yeah, they don't know a song. They don't know a song. So what do they do? They start talking or they go on their phone. And I went, I go, okay, okay, grandpa, stop getting angry. <laughs> like, no one's been to, like, a half, 90% of these kids haven't been to a VFW hall. But I thought, was there that education of, shut the fuck up, Dan Andriano's playing a song?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what,
1: were there other venues like that that you felt that
2: some, I mean, there are nights that, that it works better than other nights. I mean, that time that we did at the bell house, that was one. we've done that. We've been doing that tour like six or seven years. And, uh, the lineup kind of varies slightly. It's always been me, Matt and Conley. Um, and, uh, this is the first time I did it with Dan, uh, I think I wasn't on one year. Um, we had Dustin from thrice on a couple of them. So, uh, Evan from into it, over it was on some of them, which was nice because like for one stretch, I was not the kid anymore. Um, my, <laughs> like, I swear to God, I've known those guys now for like seven or eight years. You're still I will the always kid? be the, the kid. I will always be the kid. As far, as, as, far as the prior's concerned, I will always be oh, the kid. prior. Jesus. Um, but, um, that, so that, when we did the bell house and i think a show before and a show after that there's like three shows out of eight years that we've been doing this that we did that like in the round style where we all got up on stage and traded songs um and that was tougher because the problem is i think not so much that people don't know a song or they don't know what whoever's up next they don't know dan or they don't know andy and they talk over his stuff because they don't know him it's I think the problem was more that there was no breaks in the show. So like at some point, you got to talk to the people you're there with. At some point, you got to go get a drink. At some point, you got to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? So a normal show, somebody would play, then there's a break. And you talk, you do whatever. And then for another half hour, you focus your attention. Then there's a break. And then for another half hour, you focus your attention. I think that was more the issue than,
1: no stop. I don't know
2: who this guy is. Yeah. I'm going to wait until somebody else comes up. Okay. Like, whereas if, if we were doing full sets each, I think everybody would have been able to give their full attention for a half hour at a time to each guy.
1: That makes sense. Now, what happened in Jersey the next day? Because Chris fucking went ape shit on people talking. Is that what happened? Was he pissed?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, basically, Chris was mad that people were talking during Andy's song. Um, and I think he felt a little responsible cause it was Jersey and he is in phase of day. So I think he felt a little responsible cause so many people were there to see him. And so I felt like he felt like it was his fans that were, that were being disrespectful to not only his friend, but an artist that he, that he really looks up to, you know, an artist that he really likes. And, um, and he just, you know, he just kind of flew off the hand a little bit. <laughs> it all happens to everybody. <laughs> and then it all, you know, it it sort of ends with him running around with a cape.
1: <laughs> every every tour date I've ever seen him recently has the same sweatshirt and same um, winter hat. So, I'm, has I, he I,
2: ever been on your show? Have you have you yeah. interviewed him?
1: Yeah, Chris is amazing. Have you brought
2: up the sweatshirts to him? No,
1: because I I realized it after I did, I interviewed him like three years ago, um, so I haven't he, asked uh, him about the sweatshirt.
2: If you have him on again, ask him, because he associates every day with a color. Oh. Every day of the week, he associates to a color. So, like, I don't know what the color what color is for what day, but, like, hypothetically, on Monday is, like, a red day. So he always wears red every Monday.
1: I need, we yeah. need so I think if we figure out which color with each week, we could have, like, a saves the day Chris Conley color wheel. And then everybody wears that color. I think.
2: Yeah, you could. I, he would. I'm sure he would appreciate it. That's a, the, the chi is real big for him.
1: Oh, dude i I sent him some records from my real job, and like he flipped out. And I just was like, dude, you've given me so much joy. I can give you like a couple Bob Dylan records. Like it's fine. <laughs>
2: He's <laughs> he's he's a, he's a character. <laughs> I met all I mean, I grew up the first where's the band tour we did was me and uh, Matt Pryor and Chris Conley and Dustin Kenzer. And uh, I I grew up on those guys. Thrice came along later, you know, but like we were already a band by the time I, I heard Thrice, but uh, I was I was a fan, you know, I was a fan of Thrice and I listened to Saves the Day and kind of kids in high school. And that was the, the first time I met them all was on the first day of that tour. I never met any of them before. And it was like, oh my God, I was in a hotel in Chicago and I was like, tomorrow morning, I'm getting in a van with these three guys and I don't know any of them and I'm a huge fan of all of them and I'm, we're going to like share a van. Um, and it was like, it's a wonder that we've never like done a documentary based on one of the Where's the Band tours because like, It's a fucking trip. Like, however interesting anybody thinks it is when they go to a show, you should see what it's like when we're not on stage. It's it is like you couldn't find like four or five more different personalities.
1: And and I think I mean I think Matt should go on a on a a comedy tour. I mean when he him and Reggie did something, I forget if it was the part of the Get Up Kids show. I think it was, but he did like a solo thing, and then Reggie or uh, da- James DeWeese came out and did, like, it was just like, it was like a comedy routine.
2: Like, it's Yeah, I like, know, I know. Matt's ridiculous. He's hilarious.
1: But then, like, just that in itself is one thing. And then Chris is obviously in his vibe and everything's cool and, uh, you know, that whole world. It just seems like you're totally right. There needs to be a, uh, someone needs to follow you guys next time.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, you really, you couldn't imagine how insane it is between all of us. It's like, the conversations that happened are absolutely outrageous.
1: <laughs> All right. Now, now, now we'll have to do a Kickstarter fund for that done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think too uh, something, you know, you guys have had this longevity, which a lot of bands, two records, you're done. Something happens or someone that's re- 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 replacing someone doesn't really connect. Um, what do you attribute that some to? And I think you guys even having four records—is it four with Victory? Yeah, or five? Uh,
2: four albums, yeah, four albums with Victory. We did a live record with them. We did an acoustic EP with them.
1: And you're still alive, uh, yeah, which is great. Records. Which you guys are still yeah, alive yeah. from that, which is I think that that is a I I think you get an, I, th- I think you get an award for that. Um,
2: I you know what though I defend Victory. Tell to this me, day, I, like when people when when people have things to say about it. Um, you know yeah, so. other bands that have that have served time there. I I obviously lived through everything they've lived through, and it it was it was nuts. You know it was crazy. It was a, it was crazy times. But like looking back, like we wouldn't be for one thing. Victor was the only band that wanted to sign us, right? So like it's not like everybody was like beating... We weren't like a hype band. It's not like everybody was beating down our door trying to sign us. So Tony was the only person who took a chance on us. And Tony made sure that people heard our band, you know, like when I talk to kids who come to the shows, even now, like they first heard about us on a sampler that they got handed or, or like on, like this, the Taking Back Sunday CD came with a bonus disc that had us on it or so, you know, so much of that. And that's all like, thanks to victory. We wouldn't, we would not have a career if it, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for it. And I, and I think, I don't know about, those other bands, I don't know if all the other bands had a ton of labels that they could have went to instead and they would have had the same results, but they, we all have careers like because of the, the work that Victor did.
1: I think two things, It wasn't me do- dogging on Victor. I was almost saying, because of all those things going on, you sort of there's a stigma around the label sometimes. And I think a lot of those bands that had that negativity, I would always tell them, why did you sign the contract? Did you read it? Did you have a lawyer go through it? Like, did, there's some things that they're kind of complaining about. I'm like, but you signed it. So, were you that, that is hard a, that is for a big the thing
2: that, That's a big thing that doesn't get talked about in the press when everybody talks about Victory is that, like, he's not so much of a thief as people sign bad contracts, us included. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of that money that you think you're supposed to be getting that you didn't get, you're not actually supposed to be getting it. Like, you signed it away.
1: Yeah. And I think you and, guys, I mean sometimes bands think you know, they're going to sign to it.
2: That may, well yeah, that may be unfair and that may have been predatory and it may have been, you know, preying on young kids with dreams and no other options, you know, but again, I'm now thirty four and I have a career thanks to that quote unquote bad contract.
1: But I think you you guys were either you knew you played the system or you did what you needed to do and you hit it. I mean, Taking Back Sunday has exactly
2: great... what it is. Yeah, you guys took the ones, advantage. The of ones it. who made it out are the ones who just put their heads down and and kept kept working. Those are the ones who like made it made it made it through. And I'm sure, and those are the ones that still have careers.
1: Yes, and that, my other point was, I when I was at EVR, and this kind of relates to you guys probably seeing other bands that were on Victory. There were some bands that would sign, and they would come to the to, to the label, and I'm not going to name them, but they almost just were like, well, we're going to be huge now. We're on EVR. And I was like, no, right. you are not. Your shit yeah. just started. <laughs> you are going to be on two crappy tours. You're going to be on a third really crappy tour. And then maybe someone's going to care about you. And I think... It's yeah. that same thing with Victory because, I mean, I bought most of my records from the Victory magazine. Like, their mail order was fucking huge. I That was like, yeah. they were such a beacon. And it was like, I mean, I Snapcase, Earth Crisis, Strife, that was, I loved all that shit. And those bands put, put the work in.
2: I mean, I tell young bands now, we always take young bands out on tour to open up tours. And I tell them all the time, like a record deal, a big support tour and whatever it is like, that is nothing. It's all it means. Everything you did until now means nothing. Like all this means like this is just an invitation to the party. Now you, now you got to really go to work.
1: Yeah. And I think that's that. I feel like when I ever, I see a thing about it, any label, not just victory. I see that. I go, okay, maybe they didn't sign something. Maybe the, but Hey, it's a business. <laughs> the The label needs to make money. They're taking a chance on you. It's just, it's that
2: whole thing of did you read it? <laughs> like, no. Yeah, I mean, but it all just goes back to like just just do the work. You know what I mean? Like don't you can't blame your manager or your label or your agent for anything. Just make like I always use panic of the disco as as like an example of like Panic of the Disco didn't do anything differently than any other band. They signed a record deal to, at the time, it was just an independent label. Now, I mean, now, basically a major label, but they signed to an independent label, they made a record, and they went on tour, and their friends took them on a tour. You know what I mean? But Panic of the Disco got enormous overnight. You know what I mean? And why did that happen? Because kids like their fucking music. You know, they didn't have like the magic manager or the magic label or the magic anything to just like make it happen. They just wrote songs that kids liked, you know, so like just write good songs and play good shows and you hope for the best, you know, because there are bands on major labels and feel by Ramen and bands that are managed by the biggest managers in the world that don't go anywhere.
1: Yeah, that, my whole thing I get I get emailed all the time and it's bands sounding like American football and and I write them back and say I love that you're oh, trying yeah. to sound like American football. I am head head dude at the Mike Consilla table, but the problem I was like you don't sound like anything else. <laughs> like you know,
2: just right?
1: Put please put a hook in there anywhere, and you know it's just. I get it. They're, they're, they're kind of finding their way, but that also goes back to that internet era. Like, you guys almost had, you know, years to sort of cultivate before that first record. It's almost these bands form. Three months later, their band camp goes up. They get signed to a label. Then they're touring, and they didn't really have time to cultivate. Do you feel that that's. Right. It's the outlier. You, do, you, do you feel like it's too quick?
2: Um,. I mean, it works for some bands. Some people just, just, you know, there's two Malcolm Gladwell references for this. There's like, you know, there's the 10,000 hours where like a lot of us, it took us, you know, we were a band for four years, touring heavily for four years before we got signed. So, you know, maybe by the time the spotlight was on us, we were ready for it. You know, you can look at it that way. And also there's something about like how different kinds of genius and sometimes like, you know, I read something about how Hallelujah when uh, Leonard Cohen wrote it, it well, wasn't popular and nobody liked it. And then somebody else covered it and somebody else covered it and somebody else covered it. It wasn't well, until later on that that it that it clicked. You know what I mean? So, so but then there are people who are just they just have it. You know? Again, panic of the disco. Sometimes people just have it. I guess it's that expectation. I guess for some I guess maybe some people that need more time to ferment, and but I don't think that that's a rule.
1: Yeah, no, I, I guess you're, you know you're right. It's not the rule. It just seems like I want to I want to have like a little quarantine on a band for a minute. Like you got to like go I mean, at least up the East Coast for a second.
2: <laughs> well, you know, the biggest support tours we ever did. We I mean we we've never really been a supporting band. We never really did a lot of big support tours. We did when our first record came out in two thousand four we did a tour with juliana theory um we did a tour with fallout boy before they were like fallout boy and uh we did a tour with Mest. and uh those were like bigger tours you know like the the mess tour there's a like thousand people some shows um but we didn't come off of those tours being any bigger we didn't gain fans on those tours and i think and i and i looked back on it Thinking like I just don't think we were ready, you know. I wish we were as good. I wish we, wish we were as good as we are now. (laughs) Like when we were, when we, when we were, when we had like when there was different opportunities.
1: But I, what I love about those three bands you mentioned is they're all pretty different, and you guys fit with all of those. I think that's another thing that you guys have done. And I'm not just stroking you. I just think there's a you can fit in all these other genres and it, way people describe things, and it, and, and it works. And I think that's what the one thing I loved about before it was like these package tours and everything kind of sounded the same. It was these different bands, and even the tour you're on now, bands are different. It's not the same. Yeah,
2: I mean, and that's always been... I mean, but that's a blessing and a curse. I think it has a lot to do with our longevity that we never fit neatly in with anything. But at the same time, it was why... When in 2004 and 5 and 6 and 7, when Fall Out Boy got enormous and My chem got enormous and Paramore got enormous and all that, we didn't get enormous. It's like we didn't sound like what was happening. You know, so it was a long road for us to kind of, I mean, the last tour we did, our last headline tour was our biggest headline tour ever. Wow. And it came 15 years into our career. No shit. You I mean- know, like... And the, our new record that just came out a couple of weeks ago was our highest chart debut we've ever had 16 years into our career on our seventh album. You know? So like for us, it's been a long, steady, slow climb because we never really, it never clicked. It was never like, Oh, if you like these bands, you'll love all this. You know what I mean? Like if you love these, if you like all this, all this stuff that's popular, then you'll love Bayside. That wasn't, that never worked for us. So, you know, we didn't get huge when everybody else got huge, and it took us a long time. But at the same time, I you know, that's really what I attribute our longevity to. Yeah, I mean,
1: speaking of that, I did want to get to the new record. You know, Vacancy just came out on Hopeless. It's your second record on Hopeless. Um, are you, you know, definitely, obviously, a lot of the things in the, in, in the press were about sort of struggles and yourself. Did you... I had um, uh, the guy from uh, another newer band kind of talk about mental health and kind of bringing it out there. Did you feel that was something that you wanted to put out there that you were struggling and that this was something that was cathartic
2: and, and helpful? You know, I, don't, like, I, I, so I guess I kind of have a funny relationship when it comes to mental health because I kind of feel like what we're going through it was like just life. Was punching me in the face And I was just I was having to face it You know what I mean Like I, I was I Like to me Real mental health issues Come from Depression and anxiety That are based on nothing Like to me That's That's mental health issues I think Being sad When your wife leaves you Or Like Being angry That somebody did something to you To me That's That is a Like A normal emotional reaction And I think to be a good songwriter, you have to open that up and you have to peel the layers away. And I think I wish all the time that I could be one of the, one of those people who somebody breaks up with them and they say, well, you know, fuck them. You know what I mean? They're, they're an asshole. You know what I mean? I'm right. They fucked up, you know, like ignorance is bliss, but I, you know, I'm not one of those people. Something happens to me and I say, well, what did I do to bring this on? And what could I have done differently? What could they have done differently? Why is this happening? Why does this happen to anybody? Why is, this, why is this a thing in the world? What is marriage really all about? Like, what is a happy marriage? Is there such a thing? You know what I mean? Like, that to me is what being a songwriter is. It's like really opening up and opening it all up and dissecting it all. But like, I To me, this record, the record's not to me about mental health. It's more to me about kind of something happened to me and I had to work through it
1: what would you pass on? You know, someone listens to it there, you know, there's obviously a lot of um, emotions through it. If there's one thing that you would, that you learned through it all that you would pass on to someone, if you had, you know, an elevator pitch, uh, not about the record itself, but just learning, what would you say to that person?
2: I think, I mean, you've got it. I think you have to dissect it. You have to open it up and you have to figure out why things are happening. And you, and I think that, like what you could do to, to prevent them. And if they're n- not preventable to come to terms with it really, but I think it's really important to work through things. I don't think like leaving things in the past or filing them away. I don't, just doesn't, doesn't work. You gotta, you gotta get into it.
1: And then for you, it, it, you know, are you still in Nashville, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I think I love where you are. I think it's such a great community of uh musicians and so many people have moved down there. Uh you know, uh Chad from Newfound Glory is down there and uh Chris Caraba is down there. I mean, it just seems like there's a great community down there for, yeah, for I mean, we're all live
2: We all live in Franklin and it's it's uh, me I li- me and Chris Caraba and Chad and Haley and uh Trevor Keith um a whole bunch of us. We have, we have a good little crew kind of out there in the suburbs, Uh, a couple of the first things forever guys. Um, and that's like our everyday kind of like going to the movies, kind of getting together for board games crew. Oh, and Ryan key from yellow card. Um, that's like our sort of normal crew. And then in Nashville, which we're, we live about 20 minutes outside of, uh, like a rune from Saves the day lives there. Jack from, from our band lives there. um, you know a whole bunch obviously a lot of a lot of people uh a lot of people. you know a lot more people from bands. so it's a it's a good uh it's a good crew
1: and i i mean any time I've gone down there actually the when i was uh hanging out the last time down there i did see a rune from Saves the Day, and it was just you know he was kind of rattling off the same thing you just did of like oh this person's coming here and it's just it was it was great. And I think you know you I mean so many of you guys are dads too, so you know being able to kind of support each other that way is great.
2: Yeah, it is fun. It's it, it's definitely a trip to get like a me me and uh, Caraba got like we went trick or treating with our kids t- together last Halloween. <laughs> we all we took the kids trick or treating together.
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to mention about the record for anybody to know or sort of think about or um, I just think that I love the sort of the, the way you came from it um, and what you took out of it and I think what you mentioned earlier but anything else from the record
2: yeah you know it's funny that, like for me, the record was sort of like, it, I didn't really realize it until late, until way late in the writing process, like the record was, all, was pretty much written, and I sort of realized that the record represented like the five stages of grief, um, and there are different songs on the record that you could like attribute to each stage, and it was crazy to me, because I was thinking, like, I didn't do that on purpose, like, I was living them while I was writing it, you know?
1: But you were working it out yourself through those songs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that I didn't even notice it really until I was done. Like, oh my God, I wrote this when I was in denial and I wrote this when I was angry. I wrote this when I was depressed. I wrote this when, when like I came to terms with it.
1: That's great. Um, and then for you, what, I mean, this is always like a, not a cheesy thing, but sort of like, what's next? Like you've got this record, you've got this. Is is there anything that you, that you want to do that you haven't done? Um, you guys have this um, place where you can go anywhere and people show up. So what was that yeah, sort I of think next at, thing?
2: At this point, we've so far like surpassed any goals we may have set. You know, the goals were to be able to make a living being in a band. You know, and the goals were to make a get a record deal and to go into a studio and make a record. Those were the. That's as far as we ever got. You know, so at this point, the goal for the last. Ten, fifteen years has just been—you know—we want to last a long time. That's always been the goal. We want to be—we we want to be social distortion. We want to be bad religion. That's always been the goal.
1: I love it. That's the one thing I tell a band if I'm like super nervous around them or something. I just say, "Please keep making music," you know, as I my voice cracks, because <laughs> that's all I want. I just want like, don't stop. Like, I don't care if you're 80. You need to go out on tour and play that
2: song I like. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, don't really like bands want to do that. You know, bands don't want to stop making music. It all comes down to viability. So as long as like the kids are keep supporting the bands that they love, then the bands will be able to keep doing it. But you know, again, viability comes into play.
1: Kids, keep going to see Bayside, please.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we're very lucky. We're very lucky for this to, to still uh, still be working out. You know, we just kind of we want to. That's really, you know, to answer your question. Only goal we have is to be able to do it forever.
1: Perfect, dude. Anthony, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Did you have fun? Was it was it sort of different than the usual?
2: Yes, yes, I had a lot of fun. It was a blast. It's fun. It's fun to get, sort of get into the, the the history and stuff with with like with a with somebody else who was there.
1: Thank you, Anthony, for being on the podcast. Their new album, Vacancy, out now on Hopeless. Check it out. This episode was sponsored by the upcoming You Blew It album, Aventroth, out November 11th on Triple Crown Records, produced by Mr. Evan Weiss. Doesn't sound like anything else you blew it have done, and that's a good thing. Once again, Aventroth, November 11th, Triple Crown Records, You Blew It. I can't believe
2: this is my